Hey, welcome to the show. This is John. Well, thanks everybody for joining me today. Uh, this is John Paler of the Bipolar Battle. And today I have Oliver Seligman. And Oliver, I'm so excited that uh, you're taking the time to chat with me today and chat with all of us. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, background about you? Well, first of all, John, it's really nice to talk to you. We've been uh, <laughs> sending emails for a few months and it feels like I'm <laughs> I know you a little bit already, which is nice. Yeah. And I've read your book, which I thought was mm -hmm. fantastic. It's so oh, comprehensive. It's so kind of, yeah, it's so methodical and, and detailed. And I really, I really liked it. I thought it was really helpful. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for your kind words. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. Um, well, my name is Oliver Seligman. I come from Scotland. I've been living in Norway for the last 17 years. I'm married to a Norwegian lady. And... I've written a book called Befriending Bipolar, A Patient's Perspective, which is in many ways, it's a book about my journey. There's a lot of stories in it. There's a lot of stories of psychoses and manias and depressions and, and what I got up to and how they affected me. And there's also quite a lot of analysis as well. At the end of each chapter, I put a summary in so that people can kind of flick through the book and get the, the gist of it if they haven't got mm -hmm. the energy to actually read it. Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed when I was 17. I'm now 45. And so I've been through quite a journey. I've been in, in mental hospitals in, in Scotland and Norway and Australia. I've had quite a dance with medication. I've tried periods without medication, which didn't mm -hmm. go very well. Yeah. I've, um, yeah, I've had quite a dance with, with this illness, but I think in, in many ways, similar to what, to what you say as well, John, the kind of the, the, the main part of the book for me is about acceptance because mm. I discovered that I really wasn't accepting my mental illness at all. And when I eventually managed to do that and I did it in different degrees, then my experience of it changed a lot and a lot of sort of magic happened and, and good things happened to me to support living in balance. Uh -huh. And so now I've been well for the last six years, which has been amazing. And I live a very fulfilling life, I would say. Mm -hmm. Hey, so I have a, I have a question. Um, like you and I definitely from uh, just chatting through emails and stuff, we have a very similar perspective and kind of uh, way that we like to manage our bipolar disorder and kind of our journey as well. Um, I, you know, in terms of acceptance for those out there that are kind of, like, well, how, what's, how do I accept it? What, what kind of process you mentioned that you kind of went through different degrees, like maybe different steps of acceptance. Can you tell us what that was like? Yeah. Well, I guess I, I was diagnosed at 17 and I was in a mental hospital with a, a deep depression and a, and a high mania. And after about a year and a half with just more depressions and more highs, my psychiatrist recommended that I start on lithium, which I did. Mm -hmm. And lithium worked pretty well for me. Uh, it stopped me from getting the extreme highs and the extreme lows, which was a huge blessing for me. Yeah. Um, there mm -hmm. were plenty of negatives to it, but I got into a place where I could function quite well. And so I went to university and I got a job in an investment bank in London and New York. 
And as far as I was concerned, I'd accepted bipolar or manic depression as it was back then. And I'd accepted it because I was quite happy to tell people that I had, had, had experienced it. But I told them from a kind of point of view of, well, I've experienced this terrible illness and I've overcome it. And aren't I brave? You know, aren't I an amazing person? So in a funny way, it was very understandable at that age because I really had no way of contextualizing what had happened to me. But but really, my acceptance was it was it was skin deep. Really, mm-hmm. it was denial. And, and I just cracked on with life and did whatever I could, including lots of things that weren't very good for me, like getting a job as a sales trader in an investment bank, high, high stress place. And so I hadn't actually accepted uh, bipolar, even though I thought I had. Okay. Then when, um, I guess, you know, once you got to that point, what, what was kind of the bridge that brought you to the point where, Hey, you know, there, I'm not fully accepting it. Um, how, what was that like? What kind of, what experience, like what, how did you feel? Uh, what sort of actions did you take? What happened when you got to that exact point? Yeah, it was very, it was very profound for me, the the experience of actually sort of truly accepting bipolar. And it happened, gosh, about 25 years after my diagnosis. So it took me a long time to accept it. And mm-hmm. what had happened was I'd spent about four and a half years trying to come off my medication, trying other medications, being in mental hospitals, being very, very psychotic and delusional and depressed and basically i'd been completely beaten up by bipolar and this kind of dream i had to to do with that medication and to come off meds and and somehow i could make it work and then i remember there was one day when physically i was an absolute mess because i had a lot of side effects from from the, the, the meds i was on and it was it was not a fun place to be but inside i was actually very happy and very stable and I remember walking out of the bedroom to see my wife in the in the living room and I started laughing and she yeah. looked at me and kind of said, why are you laughing? And I said, well, I've just realized that if I'm happy and at peace, that's the most important thing. Trying to come off these meds, trying to, to force a situation that for me doesn't work, it's just not worth it anymore. I've got to just accept that I've got bipolar and I've got to live within certain limitations. And when I did that, I felt this enormous relief because I'd been fighting so hard to be independent and to be strong and, and to kind of beat the illness. You know, a lot of people talk about beating illnesses. But in that moment, I was like, I've got bipolar. It's a part of me. I have to work with it. Mm-hmm. And I think over the next probably year and a half, I, I learned to accept it more and more. And, and hence, I wrote, you know, the book Befriending Bipolar, because I realized that by actually making friends with this mental illness, it was going to be a lot better for me and for everyone around me than, than fighting it and, and denying it and hating it, which I had done before. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, you know, that's, it's interesting that you, um, you bring up the whole concept about like fighting and battling. Cause my, my, the whole premise of like my platform is like being a warrior. And I think sometimes people think that I'm saying, fight against the illness and so forth. And uh, I actually rewrote a new article about the importance of when I say warrior and fighting it, I mean, don't just give in and just let it control you. Embrace it and fight it. 
the whole mentality of a warrior, which I've always, I've kind of adopted, especially in the past few years. It's like, well, like you said, I have this illness. It's part of me. It's part of my life. You know, it's something I can't just, you know, take a pill and then be better. It's a whole life change. It's a whole, you know, it impacts every corner of your life. And in terms of uh, coping and managing, I think the, the way that we actually view uh, how we manage from day to day is so important. Because like you said, Oliver, it's basically like for me, I see it as kind of like a friend and an enemy uh, per se. And it's something that I live with. It doesn't completely define me, but it's something that I have to deal with all the time. And actually, this is kind of a good segue into um, um, the like coping skills and treatment and management, because I think a lot of times people, especially newly diagnosed, it's so confusing because there's so much information out there. It's you got to do this, 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 and this. What is your treatment plan look like? What is, how do you cope from day to day? Are there specific things that you do? That's a great question. I, I think that sort of learning to live with bipolar as best as we can usually probably takes time because we're all individuals. And so all of us respond to different things. For some people, exercise is really helpful. I know you do a lot of weight training. Right. And for other people, exercise can, you know, push them into hypermania or mania if they, if they do too much. So I think it's very much about being open to, to find whatever works for us as individuals. And so for me, what works is uh, keeping my stress levels pretty low is a really good thing. And I do some of that through meditation. I'm quite, quite sort of big into meditation. And I do some of that just through organizing my life in ways where I'm not doing too much at any point because I get very overwhelmed quite easily. And if, if I do get overwhelmed, I've kind of taught myself to be able to step back because before I hated stepping back because I thought, oh, I'm letting people down. I'm canceling that appointment. They're going to think I'm an idiot. Whereas now I'm, I'm much better just explaining, saying, look, I'm sorry, just, just give me a few days or give me a couple of weeks and I'll get back to you. So that kind of stress management is very good for me. In the last, I think, gosh, the last probably four or five months, I've discovered that um, if I take electrolytes every day, just a small amount of electrolytes, then I can train. I can do weight training and, and running and stuff. Before that, I really struggled. And I, my doctor told me it was because of the lithium is very hard on my body and that often the body can get dehydrated from it. Not for everyone, but for me. And mm -hmm. so I discovered these uh, electrolytes. And so I've been going down the gym and I've been going on a few runs and it just was absolutely amazing. But That's probably awesome, one of the really. coolest things I do is actually I do wild swimming and ice bathing. And oh, cool. because I live in Norway, it's pretty cold from, you know, October until probably March. And so more and more people go swimming in the sea and go to these like saunas and then ice bathing. And I got really into it last year and I absolutely love it. And it wow. gives me this amazing feeling that I feel very, very alive, but I also feel very peaceful and grounded at the same time. And mm -hmm. so that's been really good for me. I think, I think one of the best things about ice bathing for me is that, you know, as, as, as a guy who likes to do things and likes to be active and likes to kind of connect with that wild side of life, with that kind of not too much of the softly, softly, 
then going out there when it's absolutely freezing or it's, you know, minus, sometimes it's minus 12 and oh, the wow. water, you know, it's salt water. So it can be minus one, minus two. And just to go in there and have that experience, which after a bit of practice becomes very enjoyable. And then to mm-hmm. come out and get around a, either into a sauna or around a nice sort of cold, like warm fire and mm-hmm. to feel just that peace for the next couple of days. That's been amazing. That is so cool, Oliver. I've actually, you know, um, it's so interesting that you bring that up about uh, the ice therapy, the bathing and really ice cold water and so forth. Because uh, last year, you know, I had mentioned to you, I kind of went through a, a kind of a, a low time. And one of my buddies is he's a mindfulness coach. And he, you know, he, he helps with mindset and you know, meditation, like you were just uh, talking about what that you do as well. He said, well, why don't John, you try taking ice cold showers or an ice cold bath. And that was huge for me. I mean, I totally understand. I mean, I, I want to try it outside now from what it doesn't get as near as cold here as it does where you're at. But uh, the whole idea about it really jolts your system. It just energizes you. Uh, so I wanted to I wanted to kind of mention that, but I also wanted to go back to what you had mentioned about uh, uh, we're also individual, and I think that's another issue that I think currently just you know if you look around in society and how things are, people like to have a okay here you have this issue you have bipolar disorder, take this med, boom, you're done. But it's not so easy. There isn't a cookie cutter approach like that. It's not like, you know, you have diabetes, so you need to take insulin and you know that, and that's going to help manage it. Like you said, what works for me might not work for the next person. And what works for you might not work for me and back and forth. And the whole I, the whole thing that you were saying just about taking lithium, you know, that's that works for you, but then there's the side effects. So then you take the electrolytes and that's helped you get to the point where you can exercise, you can be more active. Not, not all medications are like that. So that's why, you know, once somebody finds a treatment in terms of their medication or whatnot, you have to look at the side effects, how it makes you feel. And that's what took me so long to figure out why it took so many years to find a cocktail of meds that I could tolerate and that I could function. Because like you, Oliver, for me, I think anybody with bipolar disorder has the issue of needing downtime and how we can get easily overwhelmed with just little things and especially when they add up and big things it's very triggering and the whole concept the idea that you mentioned as well about hey if i do start getting overwhelmed if it starts to get too intense step back and that is a game changer i think because when i remember when i was younger you know everybody was always saying dream as big as you can work as hard as you can work as many hours as you can just work basically just work until you have this burnout like you know the whole the term that is burnout culture now and i think i really got into that whole mentality 
And the, once you figure out, hey, I don't have to do that, it starts to alleviate some of that stress. You start to feel better and you're able to manage. So I totally relate to everything you're saying. It makes sense to me. And um, I just, I love it. <laughs> so, but I was, my next question is just in terms of your book, how long did it take for you to write it? And when did you publish it? And where can people get it? Um, it took me about a year to write it. And basically I started writing at the start of the first lockdown and and wrote it and got quite a lot of help from my wife and my parents, which is really good. And then I published it in, I think, August of 2021. So about four and a half months ago. And if people okay. want to buy it, they can buy it on Amazon, on Kindle or, or paperback. Okay. And just everybody listening, I'm going to drop all of the links to get Oliver's book in the description of the episode and ways that you can get in touch with Oliver as well. So I'll definitely do that. And I guess one of the things I would kind of like to, what would you like to chat about next with bipolar disorder about how, you know, we've talked about kind of the experience that you kind of realized, okay, now I need to start working on this. Like it, this is, it, you know, we, your epiphany, you got to that point. Now kind of take us after that fact from there until today. Well, when I got to that point, that being happy and being at peace is much more important than my physical health because the side effects were really, they were really kicking my butt. And, mm -hmm. and I was trying to, it's interesting you were talking about, you know, the sort of the dream of work as hard as you can and you can create whatever you want because I had the same experience. There's, there's so much nonsense out there on social media, particularly just giving kind of very simple instructions of how to live life. And people mm -hmm. sort of pick it up because we love simplicity. It's like a simple answer, you know, follow your dreams and everything will work out. But one yeah. of the things that bipolar has taught me is that there are nuances in life. And life is not as cut black and white as I thought it was. It's ironic that I would have a, a mental illness that is so sort of about, you know, dark, black and white, dark and yeah. white. And it's actually taught me that there's stuff in the middle. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. How everything is is uh, the whole black and white thinking, like you were saying, and having bipolar disorder, which is this polarizing illness. And here I'm the same way. It's taught me to see the nuances, the gray area, everything in between. And especially the past couple of years with all the just insane stuff going on, you know, over here in America, the polarization just all over the world with, you know, with the COVID and vaccinations and politics. And it, it you know, the, I just, everything is so polarized. And it, it's so interesting that you, you have that same experience that it's actually taught you with a black and white illness, the manic and the depressive that we, it seems like those of us like you and I, and I'm sure others that listening that have bipolar disorder can relate to is we can see that, that there's such a gray area. It's not so A or B or black, white or whatever. So I just, I, I that's so cool that um, you picked that up. So sorry, go back to what you were talking about. <laughs> No, that's, that's great. I'm really glad you shared that. 
Well, it's funny. I um I spoke to a psychiatrist in Norway a couple of years ago. I'd done a talk for a group of psychiatrists and psychologists, just sharing my experience and what I'd found, and it was very cool. But at the end of the talk, this lady who's like a very sort of high up uh, psychiatrist in in Norway, she she reckoned that the average person it took at least three years to find medication that will control the illness to some degree. And that it usually took at least 10 years for a person to actually properly accept that they have bipolar. So I think it's really common for a lot of people, uh, you know, like you and I have done, to struggle with the diagnosis and to, to struggle with actually trying to find out what they can do and what they can't do. And if you're sort of listening too much to social media and people are saying, you know, just push it, go for your dreams, whatever it's easy to sort of go into sort of almost a mania around that and be very sort of hard on ourselves and, and push, 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 which we really don't need. But then if you sort of go to the other side and people say, oh, just do nothing, let life happen, blah, 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 then it's easy to go into this kind of almost passive state. And what mm -hmm. I've learned over the years is that, yeah, life generally is best when it's somewhere in the middle. You know, mm -hmm. if we can somehow navigate our, our experience of life to being fairly balanced, which isn't always easy with bipolar. But if we can do that, then, and, and if we do it for a few years, then we start to kind of get to know the illness and we start to get to know ourselves and we start to know our values and our principles. And then I think, I think life becomes a lot easier over time. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you on everything you just said, Oliver. I think, you know, um, I mean, for me too, growing up, I was always taught just work, work as hard as you can. And I'm not saying, you know, that's not a, uh, a bad mentality to have working hard at all, but the whole work as much and as hard as you can to the point where you burn out, where you're working, you know, 10, 12 hour days, seven days a week, and you're taking on all of these extra things. I mean, I have, I have friends, uh, you know, I have a particular friend where they, they're married and they have kids and one of them works, you know, seven days a week, the other is five days a week. They have their kids and all these extracurricular activities. They each have extra part-time jobs. And I mean, just listening to them talk about what they have to go through, it just, it overwhelms me. <laughs> and so I think the, one of the things that, we we had spoken about before you know about like exercise for me i love weight training and for some people it does trigger like hypomania and mania and actually it does for me too if i overindulge in it so that's why like for me i've learned okay i, I really can't do more than like 45 minutes 30 to 45 minutes a day because then once I do, then it kind of amps me up. And then my mind and everything just, you know, then it's up in the mania, basically. So that's why I think it's important, too, for um, us, <laughs> anybody with bipolar disorder or mental illness or any issues to find your triggers, things that make the illness work or worse, things that kind of you know, the, when I say triggers that would basically shoot you into a mania or bring you down to a depression, because usually it seems like stress is such 
for me, I found stress is like the number one trigger. And once I find the triggers that contribute to the stress that I have, then I can kind of alleviate the stress by saying, okay, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to allow myself to get triggered. Like I'm not going to put myself in a position where this particular trigger will take place. But that being said, I know life is not, you know, you can't predict it, you know, from day to day, you just, you really can't, you can plan for it. And what I've kind of learned in the past few years, especially is taking actually like daily active, uh, positive, healthy action. So you can prevent it. Cause I think, especially when you're in an episode, like you had mentioned, Oliver, you know, when you're, when you're psychotic and you're in mania or you're depressed and, you know, you can barely get out of bed, that's not the time to really, okay, I'm going to work on myself sort of thing. You're kind of, excuse me, you're in crisis mode at that time. And when you're in between the mania and the depression, when you're more stable, I found that when I actually look and focus on my mental health and make it a priority on a daily basis, I am able, I'm more resilient. Those triggers that I found to be so big for me, they don't impact me as much anymore. Other stresses don't as well. Have you found something similar or what has your experience been like? Yeah, I've found exactly the same thing. I think, you know, when we talk about bipolar, there are there are basically two modes. There's, you know, when we're sick, which like you say is in crisis mode and it's very much about getting help from professionals, uh, often medication, uh, but and sometimes hospitalization, but definitely getting the getting the experts involved. But then the rest of the time, which hopefully for a lot of us is quite a lot of the time when we're pretty stable or stable, I completely agree with you. It's about finding ways to build our resilience, to build our strength, to learn when we're pushing things a bit too far or we're not pushing things enough. And yeah, I've that's that's a big part of, of my life is just having useful boundaries that just keep me safe. So mm-hmm. for example, I very rarely drink. I certainly would never have more than a glass of wine or sort of one beer because that, that starts to pull me into depression. I do my best to get regular sleep. That's a tricky one because I don't sleep very well, but also because I, I meditate, then sometimes I just lie in bed and just meditate and that's fairly relaxing. And also mm-hmm. one of the final things I do is I have some antipsychotics from my doctor so that if I start to get symptoms of a psychosis or a mania, you know, if I start to hallucinate a bit or start to think about vampires and werewolves or all this strange things happening in my head, then mm-hmm. I can take an antipsychotic for two or three days and, and it works really well. So mm-hmm. I have different, different things that just sort of keep me, keep me steady. Um, okay. but, but also, actually, I think having a, having a loving wife is a huge advantage for me. Mm-hmm. And having nice friends as well. I, I don't spend very much time with people who who could pull me down or who I don't get on with particularly well. And that's uh, I'm, I'm fortunate because I don't have to do that. So that's a bonus. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, you know, I'm in the same boat as you. I have the most amazing wife and she's so supportive. And I have the best kids. And, you know, they really help me focus from day to day. And, you know, you, you mentioned about 
the people that we have in our lives. I, one of the first things I did when I started my blog a few years ago was write a, uh, an article about toxicity, relationships that are toxic, and they really can make you or break you. And unfortunately for me, I had to go through a huge weeding out process about, oh, like five, between five to 10 years ago, that few, the, that five-year period, I really, I had to um, cut off ties with a bunch of friends, some family too. And it was really difficult. Uh, but setting the, those boundaries was absolutely, I mean, it was a game changer for me, Oliver. Like I now, like you, I just, I have people in my life that are positive, they're uplifting. And I'm not saying like the whole, oh, just smile all the time, happy, but you know, they don't add stress. They don't impact and trigger my, make my symptoms worse and so forth. So your whole, uh, your mention about relationships and like with your wife, I think that's such a big thing to have in our lives. And um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Do, do you have kids? I never asked you. I don't know if I did or not. I have a stepson. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. How old's your stepson? He's 22. Oh, 22. Right on. Because I, my daughter's going to be, she's going to be turning 14 here and my son's going to be turning eight. And they just, for me, having them in my life, it, it's really focused my energy too. So for me, I, I have other people that are relying on me. So it really puts an extra, um, not stress, but incentive to keep healthy and to maintain my stability. Cause I, you know, they're, they're relying on me, you know, as their father and so forth. So, um, I think that's, that's just, yeah, that's huge. So, yeah. So Oliver, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, like I said, I'll put a link to your book in the description and can you tell everybody who's listening uh, how they can get in touch with you. Do you have any social media accounts? Yes. Um, the easiest way to get in touch with me directly is Gmail. Um, my Gmail is oliverseligman at gmail.com. I also have a YouTube channel called Befriending Bipolar. So if you put that into YouTube, then then I should come up. And I have an Instagram account called befriending underscore bipolar. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Oliver. I'll make sure to put those in the, the description as well. And thank you so much again for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks so much for interviewing me. It's been so nice to speak to you. Really great. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. If you found this podcast episode helpful in any way, please consider pledging financial support to me and my mission of empowering those of us living with bipolar disorder. Your pledge allows me the ability to record these episodes and provide them to you. Thank you for your consideration.